What's up, everybody? I'm back. She's back. The the unnamed show where we talk about security and relationships. Uh, My name's Ashley. I work at Jupiter One, and this is my co-host, Tyler. Yeah, I'm just a lowly co-host. I don't really matter. (laughs) So, Tyler, how was your New Year's? Um, That's a great question. Uh, No, I really didn't do a whole hell of a lot. I did get to spend a lot of time with my family, which is pretty awesome. Uh, went on a bit of a shopping spree with my daughter over this past weekend, over New Year's. We went to the outlets and, um, you know, spent a lot of money, but saved huge chunks of money. You know how that works. Oh, I can save all oh, this yes. money. I'll save yeah. all this money. But then you realize you have to <laughs> spend money to save money. Um, but no, uh, I had a, I had a great holiday. How was yours? It was good. It was a whole lot of nothing. I literally just binged a whole bunch of Crunchyroll and Netflix and uh, did a whole bunch of nothing. It was great. Um, is that... Is that a euphemism for anything? You did Crunchyroll and Netflix? Or... Crunchyroll is anime. Oh, so. no. Oh, oh, I thought you were literally eating sushi and watching Oh, no, Netflix. no, no. I mean, that would be ideal, but no, there's no good sushi places here, so. Come on. None? No. Not in Colorado. I mean, Oh, I guarantee area, there's going to be somebody it, in the audience who lights us up in the comments if you'd say there's no good sushi in Colorado. It, in Denver. Nowhere- to me, I should say, I should rephrase. There is a mountain town called Steamboat Springs that has mm. a wonderful omakase Ooh. that we were not expecting to find. The guy trained in Japan and also in San Francisco and decided to open up a restaurant in this little mountain town called Steamboat Springs. So, oh my, yeah, it's three hours away though. So, kind of a long drive to. to so, get so I'm going to ask you a quick question since we're on the sushi topic because we always go down these random rat holes. Yes. Where, where's, where, and what is the best sushi you've ever had? Honestly, they would be talks omakase in Steamboat. Like that beats, because when I went to LA, you recommended to me Sugarfish. Sugarfish? That's my yes. number one place on the planet. Sugarfish is amazing. Don't get me wrong. But the quality of the fish and the rice and the overall experience was just so much better at this omakase place. So I call, I call shenanigans. <laughs> I call complete and total shenanigans. There's no way, no way your place busy. is better than Sugarfish. For those audience members and listeners who live near LA or have been to LA or are going to LA, if you're going to be in Santa Monica, 100% check out Sugarfish. It is the best sushi. Just go in and say, I'll take the omakase, get them to give you stuff because it's well worth the trip. I sent Ashley there. Was it good, Ash? Oh, it was delicious. Great, easy experience. Didn't have to think really at all. And so it was just, they serve you and you eat. It's wonderful. It is the right way to do it. You just you just yep. sit there and eat. Um, we have some cool stuff to talk about today, including unveiling the name of our, of our podcast today, which um, for all four of our listeners, I think they're going to find that to be an interesting, uh, an interesting moment. You uh-huh. excited? Yes, I'm totally excited. Super pumped. I'm All excited right. enough to drink a beer to it. So, <laughs> All right. Drum roll, everybody. I absolutely yeah. love, love the subtitle. Yes. There is much to unpack in there this cyber world that we live in. So there, there is. And the coolest thing about that is it's such a broad, fun topic. We don't have to get into the minutia of like security vulns and flaws, although we can and will do that sometimes. It just gives us the ability to really kind of talk at a high level, talk at a low level, talk about all the fun and cool stuff that cyber is, whatever that means to you. So we're excited to announce the name of our show is Cyber Therapy. Um, and yeah, 
that's it. Woo! I'm excited. Awesome. I think what I'm most excited about is this just gives us the ability to really dig into some of the issues, right? So uh, as we'll talk about later on our show, you know, there's a lot of change. The landscape is changing, right? And so being able to dig into subsets of the problem and hopefully drive our future towards a better, um, more secure future, uh, that is the hope. And so we can continue to grow so and be better human beings too. I do my best at that. I fail many times, but it's kind of like New Year's resolutions. Um, do you have any New Year's resolutions that you're trying to achieve this year? Uh, no. So I actually am, I wouldn't call myself anti New Year's resolutions, but I think the idea of this whole new year, new me kind of thing is a little bit overrated. Like, why can't you, you know, halfway through the year, look at where you're at and set new goals, right? So why does it have to be a New Year's thing? So, but on that note, I do, I am a fan of like figuring out new habits and new hobbies and new new things to do. Um, and so I think for me this year, getting better at this podcasting situation is one of those goals. Um, I definitely am looking forward to cyber therapy and where that takes us, uh, all the wonderful people who are coming onto our show. Um, and then personally, I think just being more active, right? Committing to actually, whether it's as simple as going on a walk with my cat, right? It's enjoying the wait, outdoors did, a little bit wait, more. Wait, stop, stop. Sorry. Did you just say you walk your cat? Did, I've been trying I, to. Isn't yes. that the joke that everybody says, like when they see something that they want to see repeated again, they're like, hey, can you repeat that? I was busy walking my cat. <laughs> <laughs> My cat has been proven to be pretty stubborn, though. So he's he's not really taking to the harness. Um, he's he a cat, just like, Ash. He just, I know. He's a cat. But there are so many Instagram cats who do, like, you know, go camping and go out and, like, enjoy the world. And I'm just trying to help my old cat, my 13-year-old cat, enjoy his life that much more. Um, so I actually got a backpack instead. And so Do you put the cat warmer, in the backpack? Yep, and it's got you're all kidding. these vents and everything. No, I'm not kidding. Oh my I'll god, we have days. to. One of these days, you're gonna like next week for next week's show. Can we please have a moment where you demonstrate the cat pack? Yes, oh, I will do that. God, you're gonna make my day <laughs> next week. You are going to make my day next week. Um, so New Year's resolutions for me. I'll be honest with you. I don't. I'm. I'm like. I'm anti. You I are just anti. Don't like, I just don't like the holidays. I'm anti-holidays. Like I'm just not a holiday person. I'm totally my family and, and friends call me the Grinch. Like I just never am a holiday person. So I never even think about New Year's resolutions. However, that being said, I sometimes in the back of my head come up with things that I want to do better. And it happens to time with that. And so I got myself a new watch. That's a, a smart watch that tracks all my health. Um, and I'm going to go, my goal this year is to go from being the world's least healthy person to one step above that. However, we quantify <laughs> that number um, okay. because my ability to get healthy is non-existent. Um, I actually cleaned my closet this week and threw in the towel and threw away all of my, all of my shorts and pants that are uh, 32 and 33. I've officially committed to being the fat guy with the 34 waist. Um, 
So it's time to get at least a little bit more healthy, I've decided. That's that's my um, my New Year's commitment. Awesome. Well, part of goal setting is making so that it makes sure making sure it's measurable. So we may need to figure out what that measure is going to be. Ah, okay, okay. So maybe a certain number of steps every day. Awesome. Yeah, so so that's the other story. And I know uh, we have uh, we have our guest in the green room going, what the hell? These guys are like yapping forever. But um, <laughs> I, I actually once wore a Fitbit years ago when they first came out and I thought this is the coolest thing ever. I'm going to get all healthy. And the, the default was it wanted to recommend 15,000 steps a day for me. And so when I was realized that I was hitting like, 1200 a day <laughs> that I would never re I threw the thing away. I literally was like, you're dumb and threw it out. So, uh, I've set this thing. It turns out you can set a default. I set it to 5,000 and my, yeah, goal same. To, my goal is to reach 5,000. Cause clearly like, you know, what normal people walk is way, way too high for me. So. <laughs> well, I mean, it makes sense. Cause we're all more or less remote. You're in the office right now, but remote working, you know, sometimes it's harder to get out and walk. With everything that's going on, but especially um, and here I'm going to use this. Here's how's this for a rough transition, um, especially when you live in New York City, where you know it's it's Omicron Central, and you know you're locked up, and you're always afraid of being around crowds in a pandemic. Uh, mm -hmm. It's much harder to get out. So, what do you say we bring our guest on, who happens to be located currently in his apartment in New York City, and we yeah. can dig into his walking habits? Sounds great. Please awesome. Welcome. Bring him on, Kelly Mack. Woo! There he is. Hi, Kelly. Oh, oh you're muted. I am muted. I'm getting used to this restream. By the way, I loved your conversation about New Year's resolutions. Tyler, <laughs> I thought yours was going to be stop drinking and then drink your beer at the same time, right? That would have been a great New Year's resolution. <laughs> He's uh, trying too hard to be ironic there then. Yeah, that's the that's boomer true. that he is. Kelly, tell me, what was your, what were your, thank you, Ash, what were your New Year's resolutions? Kelly, did you have any? Oh, man. You know, mine are actually kind of similar to, to Ashley's in the, in the sense of, for me, it's all about be my bettering myself is, is doing more, let's say picking up more hobbies, um, saying yes more. Oh, but you're a VC. You can't just say yes more. That doesn't work. You'd go I, broke. I know. I know. <laughs> but have you ever seen the movie? Yes, man. It, it worked out for him. It did. In a way. <laughs> So. In a long way to get Shonda there, Rhimes. <laughs> Shonda Rhimes also says that this should be the year of year yes. Of yes. Yeah, yes. exactly. So. Um, okay. But honestly, so, you know, I, I try not to subscribe to New Year's resolutions either. But if there's a day to try or a time to try, at least January is a nice time to start. <laughs> Yeah, it's funny. I, I took a walk the other day on uh, on the first. Actually, I didn't take a walk. I lied. I was driving because I don't walk. Um, but I was driving through my neighborhood and I did notice the fact that literally there was probably 10 times the amount of people walking on January 1st than there was any time the previous six months. It was kind of crazy. Just like up and down the, the streets of, of Cary, North Carolina. Yeah, in the neighborhood, walking their cats. You know, that's, I guess, what people do. <laughs> Dude, it's too cold. You know, New York City is pretty weird. I'd say we have here and there a catwalker, but not a lot, at least not in my area. A cat, like it could be me. I don't have a cat, but I might buy one for the sake of <laughs> I could training totally, it to go walk. I could 100% see you walking a cat. Like that would just fit your MO, fit your personality. Okay, so for those that don't know, Kelly and I go back um, 
gosh, probably close to a decade now, but uh, when I joined, uh, not quite, yeah, a decade. I joined, yeah. uh, I became an analyst at Forrester in 2012. Um, and I joined in 2011, yeah, just a little bit before you, maybe a year before you. Yeah, and so uh, Kelly and I worked together um, at Forrester and have, have kind of just always enjoyed conversation and talking about futures and markets and trends and different things from a VC perspective and a, a market analysis perspective. And I think he's got one of the sharpest minds of any VC that I know. And so I, when I asked him to join the show, I was blessed to hear that he'd be happy to come on. So, um, you know, uh, Ashley, I, you have a list of awesome questions. I don't know how you want to kick off the conversation with Kelly, but he and I have known each other forever. So I'm sure we can have some very funny stories we could tell about each other if we get to that point. <laughs> yeah, I think before we dig into some of the stuff that I know you're really eager to talk about, give us a TLDR on your life, Kelly. How did you end up at Forrester and at Workbench now and like your experience leading up to that? Yeah, so Jersey born and bred, go Devils. I had no here. idea you were a Jersey guy and I've known you almost 10 years. That's crazy. I know. I, I totally I would have been come, making fun of you. I would have been making fun of you for a decade. If it I doesn't come out a lot, especially my voice. People think I'm from California. So it, it's yeah, hard to I was gonna say if I came from New Jersey, <laughs> but I, I did come from New Jersey. If anything, I want to be more associated with the Jersey shore, but it's going to take <laughs> some work for me to, to show that because I'm not exactly wearing Ed Hardy, nor do I have any product in my hair, just at least right now. <laughs> But I grew, you know, I grew up in New uh, in New Jersey. Um, Chinese family, family grew up in Chinatown. Always been, you know, in this New Jersey, New York area. Uh, let's see, went to college in Boston. I went to Boston College, studied physics and philosophy. Um, we talked about this in our pre-prep, but yeah. um, for me, you know, when I was thinking about college, I it, it was it was an expensive decision, and I wanted to get the best education possible, and I and I knew that in a structured learning environment is the best way for me to learn. So I figured, hey, let me pick the two hardest things that I could find um, that I figured, you know, this would be hard to learn on, on my own. And uh, it was a great experience. It was a good way for me to, you know, flex my qualitative capacity and quantitative capacity. And in my junior year and senior year, had a chance to work in the research lab in the material science, focusing on metamaterials. And really when I graduated, I was uh, focusing on, you know, how can I take this research skill and and transition it to a career and just start working and making money and get, you know, escape academia, which felt like the only path really that I could do when I was studying physics. And uh, I came upon Forrester. I joined as a research associate. Um, at the time, to be completely honest with you, I, I didn't really know a ton or really anything about enterprise technology. I feel like just being a kid, teen, college student, you just, I don't know, you don't use Oracle. You don't, you know, you're not really, <laughs> yeah. you know, SSOing into anything. You're, if anything, the experience of just being a kid, at least for me, was chatting a lot on AIM, trying to figure <laughs> out really good away messages so that I could, uh -huh. you know, cryptically tell people like, you know, here's a song. How I you're like. feeling. Yeah. Here's a song. I like. <laughs> here's my mood. Yeah. Spending a lot of times with my brother, with my two brothers, right. And friends, like I played a lot of video games. My dad would bring over these really cool bootleg things that you could attach to your N64 and, and really just like flash ROMs onto a CD oh, yeah. play, like any game you want. So that was my life growing up. So when it, when I graduated and I, and I was introduced to Forrester's world of 
enterprise technology and all the different systems across enterprise architecture, security, infrastructure, et cetera. It, it was definitely a new world, but I was lucky enough to be kind of grouped into the infrastructure and security team, met people like Tyler, met people like Rick Holland, John Kindervog, who really helped me cut my teeth and were personal mentors of mine, helped shape my career in terms of like learning and, and, and where I wanted to go in life. And then um, about over five years ago, I joined WorkBench for an early stage enterprise fund based in New York, um, where I had the chance to take all of the cool research that I did in the past, all the different evaluations. And while at Forrester, it was a lot about evaluating, trying to figure out the market leaders, writing a report about it, and then seeing how things go, you know, WorkBench was the chance to take capital and then really, you know, place a bet on the calls that yep. that I was making. So, you know, it, so, it was uh, it was fun. <laughs> yeah, no, that's so funny. You know, I um coming out of Forrester myself, I I went and did a startup uh, called um, Signal Sciences based in Los Angeles. And you know, it, it's funny people ask me when you look back, like, how do you make the jump from the analyst to being a head of marketing and building go to market at a at a cybersecurity startup? And I said, really. You know, part of part of being an analyst is choosing where you invest your time, mm-hmm. right? Because literally, if you cover a, a certain market or a certain segment of cybersecurity market, um, there's an infinite number of companies that are trying to knock down your door to get you to write about them, talk about them, research about them, et cetera. And so in many ways, I chose to invest my time as an analyst on the younger startups, the innovative startups that were doing things that were interesting. And that really set my path into the startup world, right? I got to explore all of the startups that were in cybersecurity mm-hmm. that were in the markets that interested me. And I got to spend a little bit of time with some big names like, you know, uh, um, uh, Palo Alto and Cisco and some big names to kind of cross compare what that looks like. But that journey was indispensable. Like it, it couldn't have been more valuable to me to try to shape me into the future. But um, one thing I wanted to, to come back on, um, you said you studied physics and philosophy, which I think is cool as hell. Um, it, it creates just such a different view of the world than somebody like me who studied like undergrad computer science, grad computer science, and then business, right? MBA in business. I have the stereotypical path. Do you think that there was a positive impact from the, the fact that you studied physics and philosophy comparatively? Does it give you a different vantage point into the VC world and how you use that information? Yeah, I, I want to say it does. But, but but maybe not. But maybe not. No, <laughs> that's a very philosophical answer. <laughs> the way I like to think about it is, physics and philosophy gives me an edge to to seem you know cool and mysterious. But no, seriously, at the end of the day, I thought it was a really good way for again for me to get to learn you know hard math, but applied in a very practical way. For philosophy, it was very much like complex ideas, but the things that I was, you know, research that I was focusing on the time when I was studying was like, you know, how does philosophy apply to things like philosophy of science or philosophy of imagination, Mm. which does actually have real world impacts on, let's say, our ability to interpret scientific results, et cetera. So So, I'd say... Yeah, it, it was a great way for me to have a uh, a full comprehensive aptitude to learn, but more importantly, just see uh, things from multiple different perspectives and focus on the, the, the small pieces, but also the bigger picture. That's the key, the aptitude to learn. I, I find that to be one of the most important things to 
Well, to pretty much anything in the startup or entrepreneurial world is your aptitude to be open for learning new things. Because if you're not learning, you're not innovating and you're not expanding. Um, the, the, the other question I have on this, though, is there's a constant debate. And I'll give it back to Ashley. Ashley hates when I dominate the conversation. I do it every damn time. Um, <laughs> it's okay. You get fixated on something. You get I interested. Do. So go for it. I go right down that rat hole. So it's coming to you after this, Ashley. But um, there's a constant debate in cybersecurity circles about the need for a college degree. And I recently saw a thread on, on LinkedIn where somebody was like, oh, I wasted all this time and money to get a college degree, blah, blah, blah. And like, it was just a pile on of people saying you don't need a degree, like one after the other, boom, 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 boom. And part of me gets that considering I took eight years to get my undergrad. I graduated with a 2.01 undergrad GPA, right? So I get how difficult and expensive undergrad is. I did not need undergrad for the first half of my career. I did not need any degree for the first half of my career. For what I'm doing now, I 100% did. It shaped who I am. And so when I look at that thread, I go, there's merit to the negative, the naysayers who are saying, don't get it. But then in the back of my head, I'm going like, my career wouldn't be anywhere near it is today if I didn't do 12 years of education. So what's your thoughts on a college career, the requirement for a college career in cybersecurity today? Yeah, I... I don't have a prescriptive. No philosophical answer again. <laughs> I have a. I don't have a prescriptive answer. I think it, it all really just depends. I, I see the merits of, of of it all, right? I see the merits of, let's say, at an early age, you had a, you already knew, you know, in the direction that you want to go, and you knew higher education wasn't going to get you there. I, and I know plenty of people that actually have taken that path, and and they're wildly successful just based off of, you know. Mm -hmm. They, they already knew the path they were going down. Um, and I do think that from a, a learning perspective, you know, not everybody has to learn in, in the same way. I do think that I, I was, um, I was, I'm super grateful. I think that I was lucky enough to, uh, you know, be able to go to college and, and pay for it and, you know, come out with student debt of which I've been able to get through. But, you know, not everybody has the, the same amount of like, you know, yeah. luck, so to speak. To, yeah, no, so, I, to you know, I, totally I totally get that. It. What yeah, I'd I, say, though, is that I definitely appreciate liberal arts education because that's really what I ended up getting at Boston College because it, it was a, a Jesuit school. I, I'm not even, I'm not even Catholic. Well, I am now because my wife's Catholic, so <laughs> I had to become it. But, you know, it's a Catholic school. But, yeah, I took religion classes. I, I had to take philosophy courses of which it, you know, turned me on to and I, and I I've ended up um, continuing. But I, I do believe in the idea of immersing yourself with a lot of different types of knowledge and, and seeing how it shapes you. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's, that's, that's super interesting. And, and it's funny, you know, knowing you for a decade, I feel like we could have so much deeper conversations the next time we get together, but just to complete the story so that the listeners don't think I'm the biggest moron on the planet. The other two times <laughs> I went back to college, I graduated with honors. So FYI, there's a timing and maturity thing that has to come into play here. Um, over to you in the, in the box up above me here on the Brady Bunch screen, Ashley, do you have any questions you want to <laughs> pose to Kelly? Um, yeah, I actually want to pivot more into your experience when you were at Forrester, right? You were just getting started with research and learning to read the markets and stuff like that. Were there any interesting problems, trends like that you saw early, you could call it and like it was there? So that's one. And then the other side is, were there any that you called that totally just were not? not we don't. This? 
Ashley, we don't bring up the ones that we got wrong. You know that because yeah. nobody remembers you, them anyways. What, I want to hear it anyways, though. It's Tyler, the golf, knowing the golf mindset is to never remember how bad you did the past hole. Exactly. It's just keep, you keep going. Channel, channel, for those of you that are golf fans, channel your inner Dustin Johnson. Be a moron and don't remember anything. You'll be fine. You got to keep going. Um you know, we'll probably get to this at some point, but one of the things I, I joke to a lot of friends about venture is that, you know, you actually lose a lot more than you than you win. You know, you're not winning every day. Right. The wins end up being big, but you actually lose a fair amount. So that's that's one thing that uh, I like to keep in mind. It grounds me, you know. It, I, th I feel like it grounds me as a VC. I know that there are a lot of VCs that aren't grounded, and I, I, I <laughs> you know, <laughs> that exists for sure. But yep. I think for me, so when I joined Forrester, I joined in 2011. And again, I, you know, I had the chance to work with Tyler. I had the chance to work with Rick Holland, who, you know, Rick is now CISO over at Digital Shadows and Tyler went off to go work at Signal Sciences. So these are the best people to definitely um, mentor me because they, they saw where the puck was going. Um, one of the big things I think I ended up, so Taking a step back, I, I actually worked cl really closely with Rick Holland in the domain of web and email security and vulnerability management. And I do remember that some of my early research that ended up taking over when Rick ended up leaving was really focused on both the th different threats that were, you know, happening out in the in the ecosystem. So at the time, like, you know, FireEye, Bluecoat, et cetera, were very popular for, the, for their malware analysis sandbox. But I thought more importantly, one of the things that Rick had set out and said was that, you know, a lot of these security tools are no longer be going to be delivered as appliances. They're actually going to be delivered in the cloud and yeah. people are just going to direct their traffic to the cloud and consume security as a service. And I, I actually thought that was a, a huge call by Rick and a huge call by our research team and by Forrester itself to say, let's not do a whole wave on all these different appliances, Fortinet, Barracuda. We're like, yeah, they actually might come out as a, as a leader, but the future is what Zscaler is doing, what yeah. everybody in delivering security as SaaS is doing. And I mean, you look at current, you know, 10 years down the road, the companies that are what could be considered, you know, world-class next-gen security companies, CrowdStrike, they sent all their endpoint data to the cloud, right? Um, Zscaler, you sent all their traffic to the cloud. So I I do think that the one of the biggest trends that I witnessed at Forrester was the way that security was being delivered. Because, I mean, we can talk all day about, like, the different threats from ransomware, et cetera, et cetera. No, but I actually think no. that from a business of security, it was, like, how it was delivered. But that that dovetails on the transition of how the business itself is delivered, right? Because yeah. when we when we were at Forrester, you know, there was a lot of data center work and on-prem work. And it was just starting to move into the cloud. This was 2011, 2012. So that transition, right? we all predicted that transition. You were involved in predicting that transition, right? And then it's like a natural extension to say security needs to go through that transition. Mm -hmm. Today, I don't know if you'll agree with this or not, feel free to shoot me down, but the vast majority of certainly high growth, uh, high tech, high growth security startups are already cloud centric. And that that era has passed us. What's the next phase, right? Where, where do we go from here? I certainly have some ideas that I've shared with you on private conversations over the, over the years, but what do you think the next one or two phases are? Yeah, so 
kind of going to what we were saying about the way that security is being delivered and security vendors went from appliances, which, yeah, you need capital to like start working on hardware and putting them in data centers and selling them. But as things start to transition to being delivered as a service, you could utilize things like AWS, primarily AWS, to yeah. start building start, you know, new startups. And, you know, I think a lot of people lament how saturated the security landscape is, which it absolutely is. But yeah. It just shows that the ability to create companies is actually a lot easier, not only from a funding perspective, but the tools that you need to do it is, is, is more readily available. Let me ask you a question that drills in on that, and then I'll mm -hmm. give it back to Ashley because I dominate it again. Um, why is it, and this is a two-part question, and I really, this is a question I'm struggling with a ton lately. Why is it now that we're in an era of cloud-native, cloud-centric, you know, cloud-first companies, that cost next to nothing from a capital intensive capability to, to get going and to get off the ground, super mm -hmm. low cost. Why do we have the completely abnormal investment valuations and sizes and dollars, right? When it used to cost hundreds of thousands, millions of dollars to build your own data center and the technology to support the company you're building because you had to build all this infrastructure, physical right. infrastructure, that's gone. It costs nothing now or near nothing. But yet somehow it takes 10 times, 100 times, 1,000 times the dollars to build the same company. What's Why is that? What's the dichotomy that's causing that? So are, are you me? Are you remarking on like the high valuation of current software startups? I refuse yeah. to name names, but yeah, sure. <laughs> that's that's a good example. But in particular, like, you know, it used to cost millions of dollars to build a data center. Right. Like, So I, I did my first startup in 1997 and we mm. had a data center and I walked in there and I was plugging shit into racks and I had you know, racking computers and air conditioning and there's infrastructure costs there. Nobody does that. Like Jupiter one is not run. We have no data center. We have a tiny right. closet that I could fit, you know, it's two feet by two feet. Why do companies need a, a seed round of 10 million and an A round of 50 million to do what costs one tenth of what it did 20 years ago? Any idea? Or is that like, Hey, I don't know. I think that there are a couple of things. One is that there is just a lot more capital to spend. So that that's on one hand, there's a lot more capital to spend. And I think we were talking about this earlier and we might even touch touch on it. We're probably touching on, on it a lot more later, but when you have mega funds with capital looking to go earlier, it doesn't, a million is no different than 10 million. So for mm -hmm. them, it's like, if they're going to do an option call, it, it, it might as well be big because, you know, Let's well capitalize this thing and get it going. But I actually think, and I'm kind of curious your take on this. I have an answer. I'll be happy to give you. <laughs> is that I think VCs have come to realize that as much as there is a saturated VC landscape, I mean, a saturated startup landscape in security, the current state of technology has made it that most things can be consumed as APIs, most things can be integrated when it comes to like true differentiation between technical products it it's kind of a toss-up like we're no longer you know com uh, comparing like academic research and a startup it's more just like startups who can who can be the fastest to market or who can be the fastest to do you know x and y and i yep. actually think vcs also realize like yeah it's a lot about speed but at the end of the day it's also not, it's also a little bit of a winner take all, Mark. 
Bingo. You you nailed it. And that's exactly my answer to this problem. It is yeah. a zero-sum game in a winner-take-all type market. Sometimes it's a direct winner-take-all market in the sense of like social, social networking, right? If we're talking about mm -hmm. social networking, once you've built the social network that feeds on itself, nobody else can permeate that. Nobody else can break that. I think that the security market or, or broader security markets are, are taking a similar winner-take-all landscape to, hey, if I can get out there, get my brand out there, get my product out there, assuming there is an assumption of good product delivers value, like all of those things still have to be met. You can't put out garbage Absolutely, and expect yeah. to win. Um, then it becomes, okay, building the product actually doesn't cost that much comparatively anymore to what it takes to win in the first-to-market race, in the brand race, in the um, cornering, cornering what could be the potential market. So um, for those of you that don't haven't heard me say this, I believe that all markets go to three players. All markets will end up in three players, a 60, a 30, and a 10% holder of market share. Everybody else is irrelevant and dies. So you get three, three winners out of 20 that enter any given market, right? And so VCs are like, look, I'm going to pick the top five, the top 10 that I think are going to make it. I'm going to mm -hmm. overfund them. And the one that hits the 60 makes me back 100x my fund or mm. 10x my fund or whatever it is, right? Whatever the magic number is. And I win, right? So that's kind of the game that's at play. But I just find it super interesting. And I, I love I love your take on it. Um, Ashley, I'm done dominating. Back to you. <laughs> <laughs> no, this actually makes me wonder... I guess if if it's a race to get your brand out there, then I mean, how do you? I guess the only ROI you would get then from investing so much in brand awareness is winning the, the market. That's so the caveat the is execution is hard, very hard. Yep. So as much as you can say, like anybody, like yes, technic technical differentiation aside, um, you know anybody can kind of do it. Not everybody can execute in the way and, and think about the different ways that, that you want to actually go to market. So as, as everything that Tyler focuses on, right, from an early stage startup perspective, yeah, you can have a, an awesome product, but if you can't get people to buy it, if you That's can't right. create the brand awareness, which like, look, at this point is actually very hard to do, especially in the security sphere everything from legitimacy, from writing research, like research, finding zero days. It sounds cheesy, like, you know, creating like the next Cosmos DB, you know, vulnerability and like all, all that ends up just shining more light on your company. And doing that is actually just, is, is, is quite tough. Um, so that's something that from a, these VCs that end up, just plowing money into companies, they end up focusing on finding those, let's call them like influencers, so to speak. Mm. They, they, like, you know, how, you know, how can they support these influencers and in, like from a uh, monetary perspective? So they want to be there, but also, um, I mean, trying to uh, like from a distribution model perspective, are, are there ways to, you know, flip the, flip the, you know, top-down sales motion to more like a product-led growth motion. Like everything involved ends up being, uh, you know, not as simple of a decision. And there's like yeah. a whole machinery that has to be created for it. 
Yeah, yeah, no, I definitely oversimplify when I say, "Hey, just pour money on it, and it's it's going <laughs> to yeah. solve itself." Right? I was and, like, and, "Where's my money, Tyler?" <laughs> <laughs> Trust me, I'm pouring money on it right now. Um, <laughs> no, it is a lot harder than that, and you're actually right. I think you know. So I work with a number of of uh, cyber startups, both Jupiter One that that Ashley and I are at full time, but uh, certainly other ones that I advise. And you know, sometimes you just you you meet the team and you're like. Uh uh-uh. uh, no way. These guys cannot figure out the execution. They don't have what it takes. And funny story, I tried to raise money. Um, first time in my life I tried to raise money was in 2012. No, earlier than that, like 2010. And I pitched, I pitched, I pitched, and sure, like the the investment landscape was very different in 2010 than it is now, right? It was much tighter and harder and things like that. Mm-hmm. But I pitched and pitched and pitched. And I just got shot down. VC after VC was like, no, 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 no. Or worse yet, yes, and then disappear, right? Um, and at the end of the day, I was pissed. I was like, why? Why? Like, I got a great idea. And it was a great idea looking back. It was a brilliant idea. It was actually a precursor to um, Pokemon Go and the metaverse. But neither here nor there. It was too early to be funded, number one. But number two, I was not fundable at the time. And it took me another 10 years of experience to look back and go, hey, as an investor now, I look back at me at 10 years ago, me when I was pitching, go, oh, my God, I didn't. I was totally not fundable. I would have never given me money. Right. And so, so what do you mean by that, though, by not fundable? Like it. What I was so the... green. I, my execution capabilities were garbage. My understanding of how to build a business was non-existent. I had no true understanding of what it takes to create a company. I had an idea. A lot a of it comes one. down to experience. Yeah. hundred percent. Yeah. And, you've and had sometimes you have it and sometimes yeah. you don't. One th- so from an investment uh, criteria perspective, the, the main categories tend to be, you know, team, product, and market. Market are things, Tyler, that we did did all the time at Forrester. And obviously we can see like the different tailwinds and where the yeah. market is going. From a product perspective, yeah, we can dissect it a bit and try to see, all right, here's that piece of the product that could be the wedge um, to, uh, like, you know, usurp the leader in that category. But then the, the bigger question ends up being, well, can the team do it? And if you don't have a pedigree, it, it's hard to say based off of nothing. Like, yet, yeah, it's hard to say based off of, you know, whatever you have, like, um, if you can do it. So, um, that's why to whatever good or bad, you know, a lot of people will look at, all right, well, where's this person from? Did they work at Netflix, Stripe, Google, right? A lot of times it's, it's, it gives a little bit of a vote of confidence because it assumes some sort of like technical barrier that, that they had already crossed. And perhaps a lot of times, they had already built some sort of technology, which is akin to it within their own organizations. And it's all about commercializing that mm-hmm. outside of the tech companies. Um, and you know, what's interesting there though, <laughs> Kelly, you know, what's interesting there though is, and, and Ashley, I'm sure her eyes will light up when I bring this up. That is a self-fulfilling prophecy against diversity and inclusion, making that yeah. a very difficult problem in today's VC world. 
And I've seen a lot of venture capitalists now, not a lot, but there's a fair number that are raising diversity-centric funds and inclusion-centric funds, which I'm a huge fan of. Like, I totally get it. But now you have to look not necessarily for the pedigree. Hey, did this person come from Netflix or did this person come from... Because it's going to be a self-fulfilling prophecy, prophecy of what you're going to get if that's your your evaluation criteria. So I am very excited about some of the, some of the new trends in VC that are, you know, inclusion um, and diversity and focused on areas that aren't traditional either, like green areas and and other things like that. Um, What we haven't spoken about at all is Workbench, um, where you are an investor. Um, Can you talk a little bit about some of the investments that you guys are doing? Um, I I love Workbench. I'm a huge fan of Workbench. Whenever I get into a deal myself, I always try to loop in Kelly and Workbench because I think they're some of the smartest guys and they just they just do it right. They're just good people. They're not dirt bags like we run into in the VC world quite a bit. So, um, you know, tell me a little bit about Workbench and tell me a little bit about what you guys there do there in case there's any entrepreneurs that are interested in talking to you. Yeah, absolutely. So I talked a little bit about it before, but um, Workbench, we're an early stage enterprise fund. We are fully based in New York. And as you can tell, at least from myself, that we, we have a little bit of a different background from your average VCs. You know, we don't really come from the investment banking, ex-Bain McKinsey world. We're actually more tried and true, just enterprise technologists. So I came from Forrester, but my colleague John was in the office of the CIO at Morgan Stanley, and my colleague Jess was in learning and development at Cisco. And the way that we look at VC is trying to flip the model on its head. Instead of focusing on cool, fancy tech that you might find in academia or you know the facebook cafeteria we're trying to focus primarily on what are those big problems that we've seen in the enterprise use that as our guiding light and then really just play matchmaker with the different themes and startups that we're seeing within the ecosystem so we're fully based in new york one thing that makes our job a bit easier is that being in new york we are close to a lot of the fortune 500 fortune 1000 that call it home be it financial services, media, advertising, technology, et cetera. So each of us on the team spend a lot of time within the community to just get a better, let's yeah, better finger on the pulse of what's going on across CIOs, CTOs, CISOs, but then individual contributors in between. Because as you know from from startups and selling, it's you, there's a, you know an, an economic buyer, there's a a user. They're the influencers, et cetera. And uh, when we invest, we want to make sure that for the companies that we invest with, we can help give them the most guidance on how to actually like build a go-to-market sales presence, but then do a little bit of the heavy lifting for them and getting them in touch with the right person just because time is of the essence and, you know, runways sure. only so long. So it's all about, you know, helping accelerate that, that go-to-market motion. So I joined uh, five years ago. I focus on all of our investments across infrastructure and security. And actually, one one actually useful tidbit to probably share is that when I joined Workbench, I, I because I had the Forrester background, what I primarily did was actually focus more on the corporate business development relationships for the fund. I I was the one building the relationships within the banks, building the relationships within these organizations because I had that what we like to call internally Forrester cheese to talk about <laughs> digital transformation and all of the ways that technology can innovate your company. And I talked to, you know, the innovation teams, et cetera, but yeah, obviously I had the, the, the experience from the security side. So I ended yeah. up focusing on the infrastructure and security. Ashley, don't, 
don't you dare tell me. Don't you dare tell me I have cheese. Just don't, don't do it. I won't accept uh, it. Tyler has cheese for sure. I, I mean, I got it from him. <laughs> I got it from you, Dad. I learned it from you. Uh, but so I, I focus on our security investments. We are uh, we're we currently just uh, raised a hundred million dollar fund. We announced it over the summer. It's our Congrats, third fund. Bud. Thank you so much. It's our third fund. We make five to six investments a year, uh, write checks in between three to four, and typically into rounds of anywhere from three to six million dollars. We can talk about round nomenclature, but we'll, we'll call it seed. Everything is changing nowadays, but I'd say that we're you know we're, we fall within the seed investment bucket, and you know some of the companies that I'm invested in are Advisor Trust and the third party risk side. Cloud Query and the cloud asset management side, um, and then there are a couple of stealth security investments that I also currently work with across um, uh, cloud identity, uh, across patch management, vulnerability management. So uh, definitely an exciting time for myself to just like obviously work at Workbench, but um, on a broader scale, some of the other companies that that we have in our portfolio. Um, include, you know, Cockroach Labs, Spring Health, um, SoCure, um, and, and a bunch of others, Dialpad. So have a, a bunch of awesome, you know, companies across the enterprise technology sphere. And it's uh, it's been a really exciting time. That's fan- that's absolutely fantastic. Like I could, I feel like I could drill into this all day long over a six pack of KBSs, not just one. So um, <laughs> Ash, what, what, where do you want to take this conversation? We got a, we got a couple more minutes, not a whole lot of time. Anything else? I mean, we either open the can of worms or we don't open the can of worms. Depends it's on which, which can you want to open. Yes. Oh. <laughs> you, I mean, okay. I'll ask the question because it goes back to the whole branding thing that you said earlier, right? Mm-hmm. And influencers. And you were talking about how there were like a lot of brands will try to find influencers in the market and whatnot. Do, is that a heavy factor that you take into account when you're looking at these different companies and vetting them out? Or how has that, I guess, and also is that just a recent thing because of the rise of influencer marketing and everything like that, right? So well, so, yeah. so, so let me jump, let me jump <laughs> real quick before you, Kelly. I'll tell you one thing I call, one thing I do when I look for the companies that I'm going to invest in, and Kelly, I want you to to give me the Caesar thumbs up, thumbs down. If you think this is smart, if you think it's, I think I'm an idiot, <laughs> I do what I call the talking head question. Does this company have somebody that can operate as a talking head, i.e., be that influencer built into the company? Do I have a talking head in the company before I put the money in? If I don't, can I connect them with a talking head that's going to help them become what they need to become? I'll, I'll give you the thumbs up. And here's yeah. the reason why is that at an early stage, yeah, you, you're, you're building your product, but with early design partners, you're, you're selling a vision and at a yeah. seed stage, you, you're selling the vision. You want to work with those, you know, five to 10 early design partners so that they can be on board with you and you continue building out, continue raising more money, fleshing it out, just transforming the market. And to be completely candid yet, yeah, you know, a lot of companies start from, need to have the, the ability to communicate that vision. Um, what I'd say is brand matters in the sense of what Tyler is saying, your ability to like eloquently just explain what it is that you're doing and get people excited. But it also helps in general from a, um, let's call it like there, there's only so much 
uh, attention span, whether that be for CISOs, whether it be for the people that work for them, whether it be for the CISOs, um, colleagues who have to hear what the CISO does and, you know, judge whether or not they're doing it correctly. Uh, Anybody in tech has an attention span and that attention span is quite small at times, depending on like how they consume their information. And so one of the things that we take into account is when you're building a new market, you oftentimes have to educate the market and can this person effectively educate um, do they have a good plan on how to do that beyond, yeah, I'm going to be at RSA, right? It's like, <laughs> you know, it's like having the creativity and the forethought to, to, to know, you know, there, there are going to be multiple different ways in which we, we're going to need to slice this and being creative is something that we absolutely look out for. Um, I know a lot of people jokingly say, you know, VC has a lot of like hustle culture or hustle porn, but it, it really does translate to a lot of founders where they, they need to, you know, like really be bought in and, and, you know, put themselves on the line and think of the different ways in which they can like better sell market their product. Yeah. I mean, I could honestly, we have four or five additional cans of worms. We get a hundred percent open up here and I I'm actually thoroughly disappointed. We only have an hour ish for this, for this show <laughs> because um, and I, I mean this, I, I don't say this to every guest and every friend, but I consider you a great friend and you're just the, God, the, the, the nuggets of wisdom are freaking amazing, but um, we only have a little bit more time. And uh, I believe my wonderful host here, Miss Ash. Yes. So, so she loves to surprise me. I don't quite <laughs> understand why, because typically I hate surprises and I get all grumpy, but um what what is our surprise game for the day? And for what it's worth for the audience, I don't I don't know what it is. I'm not prepped in here. I'm not read in. Yeah, you weren't you're not prepped like how you chose music trivia and listen to rock I music did. trivia. Well, it's because yeah. I'm awesome at rock music trivia. So. so do you still listen to rock music trivia every morning or was it just Absolutely. for that one episode? No, I've been listening to rock <laughs> music trivia. I want to on that. I I've been swear. Li- what, is this a serious XM channel? Maybe I should be listening no, to it. No, 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 no. So there's a down here in <laughs> yeah, in Greensboro, North Carolina, middle of nowhere, North Carolina, there's a, t- there's a radio show called Two Guys Named Chris. And every morning they do a rock music trivia. I have been listening to this rock music trivia probably on average four days a week out of five Mm -hmm. since 2001. Like I love rock music trivia. I'm a trivia nerd. Why? And so I think she's busting my chops because one of our previous games was rock music trivia, which put me in a hundred percent. Yes. Put me in a position to absolutely crush, absolutely crush the opponent. What is, what is our fun and games for today? Okay. So today we're going to do word association. Do we have an intro screen? No, no intro screen. I'm just going to explain to you what word association game means. Oh, God. Basically, we're going to start with a word and then we're going to go clockwise. So after me would be Kelly and then Tyler and then back. For me, that's counterclockwise, but fine. Sorry. Okay. Either (laughs) way. Anyways, we're going to go in that direction. So (laughs) what's going to what's going to happen is uh, I'm going to say a word and then Kelly has to say the first word that comes to mind oh boy. related to that word. And we'll keep going until we stump somebody. And then it's like elimination round. Does that make stump sense? Stump somebody? Like just they can't come up with any word? Like you yeah, could say fire can, truck and Kelly yes. can say Kevin Bacon. He doesn't have to explain how it matches, right? No, but you can call shenanigans and be like, how are those two related? Oh, and then uh, he has to explain it. Exactly. Is this an improv and, 
Pretty much, yes. <laughs> yes. Have you done improv, Kelly? Have you ever done improv? I haven't, but you know, you I would have guessed you have in New York, so it's very sad. Oh. <laughs> I I loved going to it. Um, no, well, not, we're about yeah. to do it. I hope you're ready. <laughs> <laughs> At least we're not acting out skits or anything. This is literally yeah. just words. And also, I'm intrigued to know where your head goes. Oh gosh, she's going to psychoanalyze. Oh, this is this yeah. is where therapy therapy <laughs> comes in for cyber therapy. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Okay. So, first word that we're going to go off of is DevSecOps. Ready, set, go. Kelly. I process. 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 Okay. So, Tyler, um, you have to do a word related to process. Oh god. Um Oh my God, I'm stumped. Process. <laughs> that didn't last very long, actually. Process. Uh, the only thing that comes to mind is painful because process is painful. Okay, so pain. Pain, uh, painful. Oh. Tattoos. Oh. Um, ink. Ooh. Oh, say it. So, say here. I, so, if you call shenanigans and I can prove it, do I win? Sure, we'll keep it going then. All right, I'll say volleyball. <laughs> Do you know this story, Kelly? No, we can get to it after. We'll get to it after. Finish the game. Okay, 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 okay. Um, Captain. Uh, <laughs> That's actually really good, too. <laughs> a ship? Oh. We could go on forever. Water. Yeah, yes. yeah. So the point of this is to go fast, right? So we are all taking very long right we now. We are, yeah. It's supposed to be super quick. But I have to watch, you know, this is live. You know, what if what if I what if I slip? <laughs> <laughs> so so for those I'm I'm gonna call it right here. This okay, okay. this is broken. But I will tell you for those that don't know. The reason why Ashley didn't call bullshit on volleyball when we were talking about inks and tattoos is because I have a tattoo and I was the captain of my college volleyball team and the tattoo is volleyball related. So that's the that's the completion of that story and why she started freaking laughing so hard and why she followed up with captain, which I found to be very, very funny. All right. What is related to volleyball other than the ball and the net? That's pretty much what the tattoo is. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, uh, yeah. And the, I mean, the, Jesus, I never, ever in a million years thought this would come up on a live stream, but I can't really show it to you because of the location either. So we're just going to have to leave it at that, Kelly. Someday when you and I are in Vegas drinking heavily together, I yeah, might show it. you my tattoo. I think it should be part of your of the logo for your podcast. Just like include, <laughs> just include the lo like the image, and then just be like, "This is tattooed somewhere in my body." Ashley, I don't think you've ever seen it, right? No, I've definitely okay. never seen it. No, yeah, I didn't think so, but I, you <laughs> no. know, drinking together or whatever, maybe you have, yeah. maybe you haven't. I, don't I know. think the you've next described game... it. You have described it. So I have an image of what it could be. You 100% designed this game to get to my volleyball tattoo discussion. Actually, that was not the intent, but yes. I mean, I, I guess this is a, a win in my book. So I, I have an idea for your next game on your next podcast yeah. or on your next live stream is that you maybe Tyler doesn't have to do this, but Ashley and the next guest should um, take their best guess at what this 
tattoo looks like. Draw it. it, Oh my gosh, yes. And then compare it to the real thing. I think that's a great idea. Yeah. Yeah. 100%. Oh my God, that is so awful and so funny at the same time. I'm in. Okay. Um, I, I don't. I don't think we should continue this game. Okay. That's okay. <laughs> Technically, word association is supposed to go a lot faster. So you want to try one more or should no, we just No, it's okay. Call it? We're good. I'm good with closing on this story of your tattoo. I think that's a great way to end our episode. Up. I cannot believe you <laughs> brought that up. That's so wrong. So wrong. <laughs> and and maybe on a future show I will explain how my parents didn't know that I had said tattoo for let's see i got it in probably 95 and they found out when my son was maybe six wow so 15 years wow 15 years um and the story about how they found out is is very very funny very funny but we will leave that for a different uh that's a different lay on the couch therapy session right there (laughs) to be completely (laughs) honest when you said pain that is the first thing that came to my head because I recently did get a tattoo and oh. it was painful. Oh, is this this one? No, this one. I've oh. never seen that one. Oh yeah, no, this is a new one that I got in December. So. Oh, awesome! Yes. I will. I want to dig into that more, but we'll do it in our one-on-one. <laughs> <laughs> um, Kelly, I seriously could make this conversation go another hour. I loved I've it. Thoroughly, thoroughly enjoyed talking with you. Hopefully, you know the audience. I think will. Have, great, have gained quite a quite a bit of nuggets of, of things from you. And honestly, when we have our conversations, when we do get our chance to chat one-on-one, I learned so damn much from you. I sincerely appreciate your friendship, brother, and thank you for coming on our show. For sure. I, thank you so much for the invitation. This is an awesome show, so great to speak with both of you. Thank you, awesome. Kelly. All right, thank Ashley, kick, kick his ass to the green room. All Bye, right. Kelly. All right, So, Ashley. yeah. That went uh, like next. completely the opposite way I thought it was going to today. But hey, I thought it was a fantastic show. And honestly, I'll tell you, uh, getting Kelly on the show, we could not have screwed it up. Kelly is about as good as they come. So um, he's awesome. What do I'm we really know? Do we know what's on tap for next week? Do we want to start teasing next week at the end of each show? So I actually wanted to unveil that we will be the first and third Tuesdays of every month at 5 p.m. Eastern. That's going to be our regular cadence. First and, and we third actually Tuesday. Have, yes. And so our next one is going to be in two weeks. And we are going to have Caroline Wong on our show. Ooh. So I am For those super that stoked. Don't know, Caroline Wong is from Cobalt. Yes. She is absolutely amazing. Super, super smart, technical, super, super smart uh, with wonderful empathy, empathy, wonderful person. I cannot wait to get her on the show and hear more about her background and her story. Yep. Um, yeah, Ashley, thank you. Thank you for a good yeah, week. Yeah, thank you. So we'll see everybody in two weeks.